Hebrews tells us about the benefits, maybe, of being a child of God, the certainly the access we have to the Father, to God, because we are His children. Chapter 7, verses 25 and 26 are our focal verses this morning. We'll briefly look at some of the, the beginning of that. As Protestants, though, we hold to an, an idea, a, a belief called the priesthood of all believers. Now, we have, in, in our individualistic, particularly Western culture, we have modified that phrase a little bit to say the priesthood of the believer. But that's when the Reformers developed this idea based on Scripture, they were not talking about an, individual, an, an individualism, but they were talking about the body. So what they said was, uh, we are the uh, priesthood of all believers. In particular, that was going against anyone saying that you needed a priest to lead you. You needed someone to lead you to worship, to lead you to Bible study, to lead you to the Lord, uh, to, to lead you to worship Him, to pray for Him, to, to do anything like that. That wasn't necessary. It's good, but it wasn't necessary. We were priests together. As a matter of fact, Tom Schreiner, a uh, Baptist theologian, Southern Baptist theologian, said of priesthood of all believers, we are all priests to each other. We stand before God and intercede for one another. We proclaim God's word to one another. And we celebrate his presence among us in worship, praise, and fellowship. So when, it was, uh, when the reformers were saying we are all priests, primarily what they were saying was that no longer did the congregation just come and uh, sit as an observer to worship, but they would be involved in worship. We worshiped with each other. We led each other in worship. We led each other in singing. We lead each other in Bible study. We proclaim God's word to one another. That's the primary function of the phrase, priesthood of all believers. But there was a secondary function, and one that was very close to it, because of the priesthood of all believers, we have direct access to God with no need of an intermediary. You have the same access to God that I have. I have no more direct access. I don't have the red phone sitting on my desk. Go say, okay, God, this is a big one. No, no, don't, I don't have any more than you have. We all have access. We, we saw that. Jesus did that on the cross, and he showed that. The Lord showed that when in the temple, the curtain separating the Holy of Holies from the holy place and the rest of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, an extremely thick curtain. It wasn't like a piece of paper tearing. This was major. And God separated by the death of his son the dividing wall between us and God. So that begs, that, well, that's the wrong use of that phrase. It leads us to ask the question, why would Jesus need to pray for us? Why would God need to help us pray? That's the theme, the title of this message. It was the theme of the music, God Helps Us to Pray. 
Why? The curtain's been torn. Our access is undeniable. We can get directly to God on an individual basis. You don't need me to help you to pray. I don't need you to help me to pray. Or I don't need you to pray in my stead. You don't need uh, me to pray in your stead. We can all go to God. So why do we need help? Why do we even ask each other for help? Well, I think briefly, we ask each other to help because it's the priesthood of all believers. We intercede for each other. But why does Jesus need to pray for us? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning as we look at Hebrews chapter 7, verses 25 and 26. Our our theme, our, our big idea for the message, because we are limited by sin and distance, and because Jesus is limited by neither, we participate through him in his relationship with the Father. This statement covers a lot of territory. Uh, Intercede in verse 25 means so much more, carries much more weight than merely praying for. So that leads us back to that big idea Because we are limited by sin and distance, and because Jesus is limited by neither, we participate through him in his relationship with the Father. And we're going to see as we work through this passage how that is a necessary characteristic of our relationship with God through salvation, or by salvation, through Jesus Christ. Hebrews uh, Hebrews 7, 25, and 26 Say, therefore, he is always able to save completely those who come to God through him, since he always lives to intercede for them. For this is the kind of high priest we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. The author of Hebrews, throughout chapter 7, is is showing that Jesus was a better priest than Melchizedek. Now, if you don't know who Melchizedek is or need a refresher, Genesis 14. You go back and read Genesis 14, it'll tell you all about Melchizedek. He was a priest of God. He was a king of Salem, probably Jerusalem. Abraham tithed to Melchizedek. And then there's a passage in Psalm 110, uh, Psalm 110, 4, that talks about there will be a priest uh, forever, you will be a priest forever, according to Melchizedek, or like Melchizedek. And the author of Hebrews is going to take that passage, Psalm 110.4, and he is going to show that Jesus is the fulfillment of that prophecy, of that verse. So he's going to use chapter 7 to do that within this broader context in chapters 4 through something like 8 or 9, showing that Jesus is our direct access to God. And this is one of the reasons why he is our direct access. In, in verses uh, 7 through 10, or 1 through 10 rather, the author of Hebrews has already shown, before we get to the passage we're looking at this morning, that, that Melchizedek of Genesis 14 was superior to the Levitical priesthood. The Levitical priesthood uh, were, were the priests that descended from Aaron, Moses' brother. It's the, 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 the form of worship that God set up for Israel 
after they came out of Egypt and while they were wandering around. This is the kind of worship. I'm going to make the Levites, that tribe of which Moses and Aaron were descendants, that tribe will be your, your pastors, your worship leaders, your, your, your priests. And they will be the ones that will lead you in worship. They will be the ones that will talk to me for you. You will bring your sacrifices to them. They will make the sacrifice. They will be the intermediary between the people and me. I will set them apart for that job. And he spent the time, the author of Hebrews has, uh, has spent the time in verses 1 through 10 to show that Melchizedek, who actually came long before the Levitical priesthood, was a better priest, a superior priest, than the Levitical priests. We're not going to go into all the details. There's a lot of things we could discuss there, but we're not going to. And he was shown to be better. The, the broad topic is, the, the broad reason of verses 1 through 10, because the, he was made a priest by an oath from God. You will be a priest forever. No such oath was given to Levitical priests. No oath from God. So that's, that's the theme, that's the topic of verses 1 through 10. So when we get to uh, verses 25 and 26, that's already set up. And the priests, as I said, were necessary for worship, they were necessary for atonement, they were necessary for sacrifices, they were necessary for everything that the Israelites would do in worship. Verses 11 through 19 he then shows that Jesus is in that same vein of a superior priesthood. Jesus, the Messiah, is similar to Melchizedek, the same kind of superior priest, the superior high priest, as Melchizedek was above the Levitical priesthood. He's going to show that uh, by the fact, based on verse 110, uh, uh, based on Psalm 110 verse 4, where he says, you will be a priest forever. Jesus will be a priest forever. Melchizedek was a priest without end, is how the Old Testament puts it. Again, we're not going to talk about Melchizedek any more than what we've already done so far. That's a whole long conversation to have about who Melchizedek was, that sort of thing. But the purpose of verses 11 through 19 is to show that Jesus was a permanent priest. The Levitical priests died. They, they were born, they grew up, they were uh, uh, placed in their position of authority by their birth. Then they died and we had to start all over again. Over and over and over and over the high priests died. The promise of Psalm 110.4 is that there will be a priest like Melchizedek that will be permanent. And verses 11 through 19 of Hebrews 7 tells us that Jesus is that permanent high priest. And then that gets us to verses 20 through 28, where the author of Hebrews now focuses on Christ purely and particularly, with him being the fulfillment. Melchizedek could not have been a fulfillment of Psalm 110.4 because he's actually mentioned in the psalm. There will be a priest that comes, that unlike all the other Levitical priests, will not die. He will be a permanent priest in the same way that Melchizedek we don't know his beginning and ending as a priest. We don't know who his parents were or when he was born or anything. So in a sense, he has remained a priest because we're unfamiliar with how it ended. Jesus' priesthood is going to be like that, only it's not going to be kind of 
permanent because we don't know when it ends. But it's going to be definitively, definitely, suddenly, and completely permanent because he will never die. He will never have to be replaced. Hebrews 7.21 really focuses on that when he quotes Psalm 104 and actually leaves out the part of Melchizedek, the part about Melchizedek, and says, but he became a priest with an oath made by the one who said to him, and there's the quotation from Psalm, the Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever. The author of Hebrews takes that verse and says, Jesus is that priest forever. Okay, there is how Jesus intercedes for us. He is a priest forever, and we already will have seen that he's at the right hand of the Father. He, he's there now, constantly, has been since he ascended, and will be until he is sent back by the Lord. That's how he intercedes for us, but that doesn't answer the question, why? Remember, that's, that's the original question we're asking. If, if we're limited by sin and space, and Jesus is not, we participate through him in his relationship with the Father, and this is how he does it. He's a high priest. He's permanent. He's better than any other high priest. But why would he? Well, we've got to begin with us and talk about how we aren't able to. Actually, first I want to talk about how Jesus is the only one who's able to. Here's the why. He is, verse 25, the only one who is able. Therefore, he is able. That's not a complete sentence. I mean, it, it can be. We could put a period there, and that would have uh, be a complete thought. But it leaves something hanging. I understand that. But let's, let's just focus on that. Uh, some of you, some of you good Christian people, will be rooting for the saints this afternoon. And, and, and you really good Christian people are, are probably going to miss the end of the game because you're going to be here for the town hall meeting at 5 o'clock. They are able, right? They got all the skill sets necessary to, to beat the Rams. I, I have a family member who's not rooting for the saints this afternoon. Pray for him. But the saints have the skill set, right? They are, they are able. But we understand that there's a limit to their ability. Uh, they're going to be without Benjamin Watson, a great tight end. You may not know that. Now you do. Uh, he had appendicitis. He's not going to be in the game. There are limits to their ability. We will say that they are able to win the game. But it's not guaranteed, is it? It, there, there are so many variables that go into play. Schemes and planning and plays and, and injuries and, and just all sorts of things that, that make it possible that the Rams will beat the Saints this afternoon. But they're able, right? When the Bible says Jesus is able, it's not talking about a theoretical ability if everything goes right. It is talking about he is able, he will, he has everything necessary to do the things he said what he will do. 
But more than that, it is guaranteed that he will do it. If we were going to use the word accurately with the, the saints, we would say, no, they're not able to beat the Rams. They could end up being, beating the Rams, but they are not able to. They need a collection of events to go precisely their way. I mean, they need the punt to bounce just right when they have to punt. If it bounces a little bit different, it means the difference between a loss and yardage or a touchdown. That's something they can't control. So they're not really able. They're just hoping everything goes their way. Jesus is able. And that's why we're stopping at this word. Jesus is able. That means that only he is able to do these things. We are unable. We cannot depend on priests. Priests can't do it for us. Priests can't do anything spiritual for us. No priests are able. No animals are able. No sacrifice. No good works are able. No ability. We have no ability. Well, Michael, it seems like you're still leaving this ending off, and I am, and I'm doing that intentionally. I want us to understand how helpless we are, not just in what it's going to talk about immediately following, but in everything, we are helpless. Who gives us breath to breathe? Our diaphragm? Who gave us the diaphragm? Our mama when we were formed in the womb? Well, who created the womb? Who created our mama? And we, we just keep going back and, and, and we get to God. We are unable. We depend on him for everything. The scripture says... That he is able. But what specifically is he able to do? And the verse says to save completely. Michael, I thought we were talking about prayer. We will. Hold on. He is able to save completely. People, our greatest need is not to get our prayers answered. Our greatest need is not the health of a loved one. Our greatest need is not financial security. Our greatest need is not anything in the political realm. Our greatest need is not to outlaw abortion. We need to. That's not our greatest need. Our greatest need is salvation. Our greatest need is a relationship to God through Jesus Christ. That is our greatest need. And that's why salvation comes before intercession. Jesus is able to save. God wants us to hear that before we pray, before we depend on Jesus to intercede for us, we need to depend on Jesus to save us. And our prayers do not make it to God until our hearts make it to Jesus for salvation. That's just the order of things. That's just the way it works in God's economy. Our greatest need is salvation. And Jesus is able. Priests aren't able to save us. Animal sacrifices aren't able to save us. Our ability, our good works, our things, our stuff, our actions are not able to save us. Only Jesus is able to save. And he is able to save 
completely. That word carries a, a universe of meaning in this instance. Primarily, though, it means that our salvation is complete and final. It's a done deal. It's over with. Salvation is one, done, and complete when we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior. And what the Bible tells us, what it shows us, is that we are now perfect in Jesus. We're covered by His blood. When we are seen by God, we are seen as perfect. Now, we all know we're not, but that is the, uh, the state of our soul. We are already with God. We are already with God in Christ. We're perfect. Raise your hand if you're perfect. No, you're not. You're lying. So you're not perfect. See? That was easy. None of us are perfect, though. If our salvation is complete, we are completely saved. If our salvation is final, everything is done that needed to be done in order to save us. Then what's the problem? Raise your hand if you're a sinner. Okay, if you left your hand down, you're not, you are a sinner because you're lying. See how easy that was? We still sin. Our salvation is complete and final, but we still sin. Our, our flesh is corrupted. We long to throw off this flesh, Paul said, and to be with the Lord. And uh, if you went to Miss uh, Louise Shelton's funeral service yesterday, Andy Buckley gave a great uh, funeral message, a memorial service message. He would correct me. He said it was a memorial because she's gone. Uh, it wasn't a funeral. We're not lamenting the body. We're celebrating the soul. And so she is, she's not there. She has put off the corruptible flesh, the, the flesh that not only grew old, not only rebelled against her, but the flesh that caused her to sin, to need the Savior in the first place. Our flesh is still corrupted. Therefore, in the topic of prayer, what also would be corrupted? Our prayers. See, we, because we still sin, because our flesh is corrupted, we are wrong, limited, ignorant, sinful, selfish, short-sighted, stubborn. We are finite. We're temporal. We're of earth. That's, that's what we care about. We are uh, materialistic. We, we desire our own uh, needs. We, we pray for the wrong things at the wrong time, in the wrong way, for the wrong reason. Or we don't pray at all, or we go to sleep while we pray, or we pray infrequently. You see how corrupted our prayer life is? Because we sin. Because we are bound by this flesh that is sinful, corrupted flesh. So if that's our prayer life, and maybe, maybe I'm just describing me and y'all got all the whole prayer life thing figured out. But if that's our prayer life then couldn't our prayers be better? Could you, any of you, pray more? Could you pray more according to God's will? Could you, do you know when there are times you should have prayed differently? Do you know that your prayers sometimes have sinful, selfish motives? Do you ignore God when he leads you to pray? 
If you do, then you understand why you need someone to pray for you. And you don't need me, because turns out, my prayer's the same way. And you don't need your neighbor, because their prayer's the same way. Now, we pray for each other, the priesthood of all believers. We worship together, we pray together, we build each other up. We intercede for each other. That is very biblical. But the fact remains that our prayers lack something. And what they lack, Jesus makes up. The rest of verse 25. Therefore he is able to save completely those who come to God through him, those who trust in him for salvation, since he always lives to intercede for them. He lives to intercede. Jesus, perfect Son of God, died on the cross, raised three days later, ascended some 40 days later into heaven, sits at the right hand of the Father, and lives to intercede for us. Now remember, I said that word intercede carries with it a lot more than just praying for. What I said in our uh, big idea was we participate through him in his relationship with the Father. That is intercession. We participate through him in his relationship with the Father. Let me read you another big, thick statement about this. Every act by which the Son, in dependence on the Father, in the Father's name, and with the perfect concurrence of the Father, takes his own with him into the Father's presence, in order that whatever he himself also or he himself enjoys in the communications of his Father's love may become theirs also. Now I won't read that again, but let me break that down for you just a little bit. This is the way theologian William Lane put it. So everything Jesus does and everything that he does is in dependence on the Father and is uh, in, with perfect concurrence of the Father. So he depends on God and they are perfectly lined up. Jesus said while he was on earth, everything I see the Father doing, I do. He is a Mirror image, but that's not even good enough. It's not just mirror because mirror is still somewhat opposite, right? It's just a reflection of, no, no, they are in perfect concurrence, perfect unity. The three are one. So everything Jesus does, God does. Everything God does, Jesus does. And in dependence on him, in his name, and with perfect concurrence of the Father, Jesus takes his own. He takes us with him into God's presence. So in some way, when Paul says we are in Christ, what that means is right now, today, as Jesus sits at the right hand of the Father in living to intercede for us, we are with Him in the presence of God. I can't explain that. Don't ask me to. But I just know that we are, that that is So we are in the Father's presence. So whatever Jesus, as it puts it, enjoys in the communications of his Father's love, 
however they relate in a Trinitarian way, we get the same thing. We are in perfect relationship with God right now through Jesus Christ. And that ought to just bust you wide open. Right now, as we sit here, we're in the presence of the Lord. We say, surely the presence of the Lord is in this place. I mean, we'll sing the song, and we, and we know in the Holy Spirit, you are welcome here. We'll sing all these songs where we, we know intuitively, and we tell ourselves, sure, we're here, and where two or three are gathered, we'll, we'll say that verse, and we'll say, yes, the Lord's here. Or I felt the Spirit's presence today, or I really felt the Holy Spirit move today. We'll say all those things, and all those things are very true. But we don't have to be here. We are in the presence of God right now, and, and right now, and right now, and right now. And when I finally finish preaching at about 1 o'clock today, we will, and you, I, I'm 11.35. When, 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 when I finally finish preaching and you leave here and you go to Joe's, or you go to Steamboat Bill's, or you go somewhere, you know what you'll be? You'll be in the presence of God. Not because God is in those places, though he is, he's omniscient, he's omnipresent, he's all those things. Not because you carry the seal of the Holy Spirit in your heart, and you do, and you carry him wherever you go, whenever you're doing something. But you will be in the presence of God. He won't be in your presence, you'll be in his presence. Isn't that amazing? That we live in the presence of God through Jesus' activity, through Jesus' Constant intercession. Oh, but there's more. As awesome as that is, there's more to this intercession. Much, much more. And we, we're just not going to have time to get into all of it today. But I want to make this second point about him living to intercede. By his intercession, Jesus covers us against God's wrath. Not as if he holds a determined God back, but instead he cocoons us against the natural withering result of our sin in the presence of God's holiness. The great theologian uh, Michael Boyd Linton said that. Um, don't get this image of the playground bully wanting to pick a fight with the kid across the playground and his friend holding him back. I'm going to get you. You better be glad he's holding me back. That's not what God, it's not, that's not what Jesus is doing to God. It's like, okay, God, calm down. You know, he's yours. You can't, no, you, you, can't, you can't strike him down. That's not the image here. That's not the kind of intercession that we see. That's not the kind of intercession it's talking about. What we're talking about is our natural inclination, our natural response as a sinful, corrupted, fleshly human in the presence of God's holiness is to disintegrate, to be gone, to be annihilated. That's what should happen because of our sin. Sin cannot be in the presence of God. It is dissolved in His presence. And therefore, we, as we approach God, right, the, the veil's torn. 
direct access. We get to, and we use this image sometimes, at least I have, we get to crawl in the lap of our Father and bring our needs to Him. Is there any purer picture of a father's love for a child than that child that is hurt and crying and burdened and crawling into Daddy's lap and just weeping on the shoulder? And that's the kind of access we have to God. Curtain torn. Veil, wall, broken down. Direct access. And yet this is the God whose holiness burns like a fire. This is the God who, if we saw his face, we'd melt. We'd be the end of a Raiders lost ark. That's, that's what would happen to us. We, we could not stand in his holiness, and yet we can. Why? We are enveloped in the intercessory saving prayer of our Messiah as he stands at the right hand of the Father and says, they are yours through me. And so we are untouched. We are cocooned against that natural withering result of our sin in the presence of God's holiness. That's amazeballs too. That we just get to stand there. I, imagine, here's, here's your picture. You, you, you want a picture of what it should look like? Let's go back, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And the, and, the, and, the, and, the, and the guards were told, heat the furnace, get it hotter, we got to burn these suckers. And so the ones who were stoking the furnace, wasn't for them, was it? That furnace was not to punish them, and yet the ones who got too close to it were consumed by the flames. And in walk, fall, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And they're untouched. Not even the smell of smoke. That is our picture of what Jesus does for us in the presence of God's holiness. Our sinfulness should do to us what it did to the guys who threw Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in. When we get too close, and anywhere is too close, by the way, we get too close to the God of holiness, we're evaporated. But Jesus walks there with us. And we are sinless. And we are protected. And we are cocooned. We are covered against God's wrath. Well, that's why we need an intercessor. That's why he lives to intercede for us. But how can he? Verse 26. For this is the kind of high priest we need, holy, innocent, undefiled, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. Uh, raise your hand if uh, you meet those requirements. Mm -hmm. Good job. We need a high priest who is these things. The original high priests weren't. We, the priesthood of all believers, are not. But we have a certain kind of intercessor, one who is holy, whose inner character is flawless. He is sinless. He is now and he was. We have an intercessor who is innocent, free from evil. Not only did he not sin, he doesn't want to sin. Not only did he not sin, he will not sin. Not only did he not sin, he has no inclination to sin. He is free from evil. 
I'm guessing that doesn't apply to any of us. He is undefiled. There is no legal or moral pollution about him. Legal as it, oppo- as it concerns this, uh, the ceremonial laws. Moral as it concerns the moral laws. There is nothing Jesus did wrong. Therefore, he is undefiled. He is in no way disqualified to be our high priest. The original high priests, they had to do sacrifices for themselves as well as the people. Jesus has to do no sacrifice for himself because he is in no way undefiled or disqualified. He is separated from sinners. Sometimes we wish, right? Sometimes we have to, right? We've got to separate ourselves from some people who are bad influences, but that does not stop our sin. Certainly does not stop our sinful nature. Jesus is literally separate from sinners in that he now sits at the right hand of the Father. But even when he was with us, he was uncorrupted by other people's sinful nature. He was not influenced and he is not influenced by sin, which is a big deal since he was 100% human and 100% God. But he was uncorrupted uninfluenced and it says now he is exalted above the heavens he has an exalted dignity he is seated where he should have been he is back where he left when he came to earth he set aside his glory he denied himself to be our savior and he because of our sinfulness, intercedes on our behalf and gives us a relationship with the Father that we personally can't have yet. One day we will know as we are known. One day I believe we will see God in his fullness. And our, our, our corruptible flesh will be gone and we will be able to see him. We won't understand him or comprehend him, but we will be able to see him fully. Today we cannot. So Jesus ever lives to intercede for us, to take us into God's presence, a place we cannot go, so that we can enjoy the full communication and relationship with God that we currently cannot have. That's some shouting hallelujah stuff right there. So what do we see here? Our, our sin negatively affects our prayer life, we, right? We got that? So we need an intercessor. Jesus takes up the slack because only he can. We need to pray for each other. We need to pray for people we love, but we pray for the wrong things or we don't understand uh, exactly what the needs are. Jesus takes up that slack. In other places, that we're told the Holy Spirit does the same thing. We, we really have two intercessors. We're just not focusing on that one today. We're talking about Jesus. Jesus takes up that slack. Not only does sin negatively affect our prayer life, sin negatively affects our life. Well, duh. Actually, we got the cart before the horse on that one. Sin negatively affects our life. Therefore, it affects our, our prayer life. But sin negatively affects our life. Jesus then takes up the burdens because only he can. Can you carry your burdens on your own? The answer is no. And Jesus bears those burdens. He takes your burdens and you take his yoke because it is light. You can carry it. But more than just our prayer life, well, that's just an area. Uh, More than just our our life, as as broad as that seems, that's still just 
an area. Our sin negatively affects our eternity. So, Jesus takes up our cross because only he can. He takes up our cross. He bears it. Our punishment for our sin. He dies for it. He forgives by his death. Intercedes on our behalf. You want a picture of intercession? The cross. The cross is the best picture of interceding. Jesus interceded for us on the cross. And you can experience the results of that intercession. As believers, we experience the result of his intercession every day because we live daily in the presence of God through Jesus. Not because he's here with us, but because we're there with him in Christ. But you cannot experience that until you experience salvation through Jesus. You experience the intercession of Jesus at the cross. And that, that begins with an understanding of who you are, a sinful creature. Jesus is able to save completely. And he does. He saves completely. Romans 3.23 tells us that all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every one of us. And the wages of that sin that we commit is death. That is our guarantee. We cannot be in the presence of God. And death is separation from God. But the gift of God is eternal life. This free gift for us to receive in Christ Jesus our Lord. And God proved he loved us. Just to make you certain that he wants you to experience the salvation. He provided for it while you were a sinner. Actually before we were born. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. And all you have to do is call on his name. Well, and when you do so, you're understanding that you're a sinner and you need to repent of those sins. Call on the name of the Lord and you will be saved. And if you confess with your mouth, Jesus is Lord. I'm a sinner and I need to turn from that. Jesus, you're not a sinner. You are Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So depend on that intercession at the cross to save you so that you can rest in that intercession at the throne that sustains you. Let's pray. Father, thank you that your son lives to intercede, that this is how you set it up, That this is how you declared to save us and to make us right with you. God, thank you that we are protected, we are lifted, we are encouraged by Jesus' intercession as believers. And Lord, I pray this morning that someone today will trust Jesus Christ as their ultimate intercessor. Trust them, believe in that first intercession at the cross and follow today. Repent of their sins, trust Jesus, and turn to you. God, as we sing this morning, as we continue to worship you, I pray that you would work on every heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So what we need is that intercession. So how do you need to respond today in this time of response? Do you need to trust Jesus as your Savior, accept Him? Or you need to
Uh, you want to come talk to me about that, uh, that's fine. You want to talk to uh, Jordan this morning, he'll be on my right. You can talk to him. Uh, we'd love to explain that a little bit better to you. Maybe you need to follow in obedience and baptism, and you just want to come and make that public and say, you know what, I want to I do that. I want to set myself up to, to follow that first obedience to Christ. Maybe you want to join our church this morning. Uh, Maybe you just need to come to these prayer rails and listen things up to Jesus. You need to understand that he ever lives to intercede for you. And there are some things you need to give him. You can pray with me, Jordan. Grab somebody else and bring them to the altar and, and, and make this place an altar and pray with them. But whatever it is you need this morning, you listen as the Holy Spirit draws you. Let's stand and let's sing. And you do business with God today. <laughs>